Welcome to another episode of Sports World Insights um, with Global Talent. I'm Sam, and today we have with us um, Jose Gigante, um, who is an extremely spirit experienced in the in the world of sports. Extremely experienced in Paralympics uh, and a whole broad spectrum of other things. Hi, Jose. Hello, Samir. Thanks for having me. Perfect. Perfect. Um, no worries. So. We'll jump straight in, actually. Um, can you just give us a little bit of background on, I guess, who you are in the world of sports and what you've been up to? Well, uh, <laughs> thanks for the question. <laughs> no problem. I've been involved in sports for the last 15 years. Yeah. Uh, currently working for two organizations, so Wild Sport, a small consultancy, working with brands and national governing bodies, mm-hmm. trying to bring them together um, also teaching at university, at SOAS University, uh, Center of International Studies and Diplomacy, teaching students how to use sport, because as you might know, sport can be used to, as a tool for, for good, could be something that everybody should know more about. Yeah, absolutely. So it's one of those community builders, I think, um, even from myself being involved in sports, whether it was trying to play tennis or basketball as a young child, you you receive a lot of development in the sports world, so I think it's a key part of people's lives as they grow up as well. Absolutely. Um, You're absolutely right. And I mean, before what I've been doing, uh, I've been involved in many different projects, mm-hmm. and always struck me how, you know, determine our athletes. Uh, so I'm the son of a former athlete. I played amateur basketball until I got injured. Right. Um, so very passionate about athletes' rights and what happened with athletes after they retire. And that was the topic of my um, my dissertation, at my master's degree. Oh, interesting. Uh, and you'll be surprised. I mean, this is years ago, but at the time, many football players in the UK uh, were good case studies of what a bad boss career could right. look like in terms of betting, suicide, bankruptcy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's something I'm really passionate about. That's super interesting. I think it fits in very well with um, today's society and our growing awareness of, of the pressures um, in all sorts of careers, but it's kind of more highlighted nowadays that perhaps the leagues and organisations of which professional sports players play in don't necessarily or haven't at the moment done a good enough job of developing even their their stars and, and the people who play for them for what comes afterwards. And as you said, there's plenty of examples we've seen throughout the olden days as well. Paul Gascoigne, yep. you know, one of the greatest football players to ever play for yes. the English team and you know, a, a quite just, just sad story um, since then. So that's 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 super interesting. Um, and you said you're you're the son of an athlete as well. Yeah. So, well, my dad was an athlete when when he was young. I think his best um, performance was being sixth of the country, and his you know in, back in Spain in long jump. Oh wow! Okay. Um, so in athletics. Yes, in yeah, athletics. Yeah. Uh, so always been very passionate about track and field, and uh, and you learn that you know once you get an injury, you're out. Uh, all the money goes away, yep. all the support from the government goes away yep. and you're on your own and you need to transition and in the case of my dad was education mm-hmm. so that's why I think my career has always been married between sport and education yeah. uh, 
which I think is the, the best tool you can have as an athlete uh, for your future. Um, and also been involved with uh, international federations um, in the past, helping them develop new, new sports like basketball, Three mm-hmm. on three. Oh yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Cool. Very cool. And uh, so it's a uh, it's interesting to be involved when nobody really is interested in in a particular um, side of of that what? sport. Uh, and one example is uh, three on three basketball. So years ago, I got involved in this project, which was you know let's create an online tool that national federations can learn from mm-hmm. athletes, coaches. Uh, basketball players can learn more about the sport and get interested in and try to help develop the sport. And at the time, I remember having conversations in, in a big, you know, convention event from from FIBA mm-hmm. with national associations, and them not being very interested at the time yeah, because, but, yeah, the sport was not in the Olympics. And and I guess that's it, isn't it? It, it often takes. Uh, an influencing power, whether that's a big influencer, an athlete, somebody who has impact in the world, or an organisation to take the first step. Um, somebody has to jump first, right? And otherwise, if they don't, everybody's going to be scared all the time. It's interesting. But yeah, it's, it's, it's just touching on the point of uh, preparation for after, after careers. I was just thinking, it's funny that the, there are some similarities between sports and entertainment. They're both potentially careers that can be shorter lived, let's say, uh, than more traditional careers. You know, like if you're working in a bank or an organisation, you may be there or in these uh, careers for 30, 40 years. But Mm -hmm. it's quite rare in a lot of sports to be able to last 30, 40 years at the top of the game or even as as an entertainer. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, even I see when I'm scrolling through Instagram or, or watching more panel shows and stuff... You hear more, for example, of how Shaquille O'Neal has 16 different businesses Mm -hmm. and he invested in, I think it was Five Guys or things like this. And it's because I've watched a lot about that recently uh, and it's because they they were aware of people just blowing their money. If you raise to a certain lifestyle demand and you have all of these outgoings and then your income stop, the outgoings don't. Really really (laughs) difficult to to adapt. And And then 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 it goes down very quick. Yeah. Bang on on that, and I had through my career, uh, even doing research and doing interviews with Olympic and Paralympic athletes, I had I've met athletes who said, "Look, I'm getting maybe thirty thousand euros uh, through the scholarship that I get from the government. Mm-hmm. If I don't have that, or if I lose it because I'm injured, uh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Because uh, it's very hard to to think what to do when your whole mental you know career everything has been in one shot which is be the best at the sport we yeah. have the skills for so it's very difficult to to transition and, and you're absolutely right the two fields of entertainment and sport short careers there's only very few people uh, even though in the media it looks like there's hundreds and thousands of athletes mm-hmm. that they can make you know they're living from yeah. from sport to last as well for, and to last for years and there's not that many no. in reality and any injury can can take you out of the of the game so you're you know spot on if you start from a young age building a brand if you start from a young age uh, educating yourself and if you have any money doing the right investments uh, which is something that not necessarily they're educated on no. it's 
uh, then you can learn a lot. Yeah. It's, fu- it's funny, isn't it? I was um, I was just thinking as you said that there's there's almost a connection between um, the mindset. You know, you have these very determined people who are almost fixated and and purely motivated by becoming the best. But the reward of becoming the best is only when you you achieve those things. That's almost like a fixed mindset, right? You you get reward or you feel like you've achieved something when you get to a certain place rather than the journey there, Mm -hmm. which is more the growth mindset. So I guess that's also a challenge for current day athletes to, to start engaging with their growth mindset a little bit more to develop what they can be doing for the future yeah. uh, and preparing themselves rather than just having the one set goal mm-hmm. because it's, as we're saying very risky to yeah. have one set goal right all your exactly. eggs in one basket exactly doesn't work so much oh brilliant so you said uh previously you were involved uh with with sports brands and stuff as well can you tell us a little bit more about that yeah so the current company i work for white sport uh, they work directly with brands, uh, media companies, or international federations, or national governing bodies mm-hmm. uh, that they're looking to engage with a brand on a strategic level, which means uh, we're not an uh, advertising agency where you just know that certain football club has the kit, uh, front of the kit is going to be empty next year, and right. they're looking for someone to, to spend a few million to put that logo on that yeah. shirt. So that's not what we what we do. Okay. Uh, so Sally and Sally, who run the agency, what they do is have deep conversations with both mm-hmm. brands and, and governing bodies or right holders, yep. and just try to understand their values, what they're trying to achieve in the next five years, yep. and see if they can work together. Uh, so examples of these uh, could be um, working with uh, UEFA, okay. uh, working with, uh, at, well, at the time when we started working with UEFA a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. they were trying to improve uh, and have more knowledge on women's football right. uh, yeah. and they've Makes done very sense. well. Uh, so at the time they were not, um, they were not seen as the leading organizations supporting women's football so they had a very good initiative which is let's go and try to understand better women's sport let's talk to organizations and brands that have been engaged with women's sport before Mm -hmm. and see what how can we adapt that and get a strong proposition that when can help us in the future develop women's football and attract the right brands to work with us and you might have seen recently loads of deals done by UEFA with cool brands uh, like Nike, yeah. Uh, so uh, we can see a visa. We can see that education and this kind of uh, work uh, between brands and and right holders is much better and long term than just trying to find someone to pay you money to to put your logo in a t-shirt. Absolutely, yeah. So it's funny. Uh, you see a lot more representation of women's sports and especially women's football. Personally, having lived in London my whole life, it was very rare to turn on the TV and see, you know, on the weekend, a women's football game because it's not televised. Yeah. And it's still not uh, promoted or, or exposed enough. But you, there is small kind of identifiers or signifiers in the progression. You know, I will see yeah. uh, more televised games. And where you're talking about uh, brands and athletes, even in a more culturally... I guess, yeah, culturally relevant space. You have 
the the stars of USA women's football, mm-hmm. Megan Rapinoe, yeah. I think it was. Yeah. She, you know, she's wearing Jordan, she's wearing Nike, yeah. she's at all the games, she's a real big star now. Yeah. And you know, 10, 15 years ago, who knew about or who was who was being told about, I guess is the the point to make, who's being told about the stars on the women's football teams. Absolutely. So as they're becoming more, yeah, they're a brand themselves. Yep. You know, they're they're influencers, they're a brand themselves, and it's good to see that there's a there's a progression there. Absolutely. It's, I look, I love LeBron James. He yeah. is he is my my absolute hero. But yeah. you want to see all, all of the others as well. You want to see there was I think even um, in the USA the the gymnast Simone. I can't remember her her surname. But again, she became very the the most decorated uh, female gymnast yeah. in the in the women's gymnastics team. She's now a star, yeah. you know, and that's that's different to what yeah. she would have been maybe twenty years ago, which is just an athlete. She's mm-hmm. now an athlete and a star. Yeah, and it's a role. She's a role model for fans mm-hmm. of women's football or women's sport. Yeah, and she's a role model for young girls that instead of going into traditional careers for women. They're now deciding. Actually, one day I want to be in a World Cup. I yep. want to be in the Olympics. Uh, so, you know, great to have these role models. Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, in terms of what we do at Global Talent um, and looking at looking at up and coming talent and how how that develops and how we're essentially able to help people um, build build careers and build build lifestyles um, when otherwise the situations and kind of, I guess, opportunities are quite limited. Um, How, I mean, how does that affect where where you've had experience, for instance, you've you've worked quite heavily with the Paralympics Mm -hmm. um, uh, and other organizations, where do you see the marriage? Is it uh, it something that will be taken up or, or will it take time? What's the adoption rate of, of things like this? Do you think how pe- how open are people to to having a new way of developing yes. careers? Yeah, it's a very good question because I've come across uh, many conversations regarding you know technology and sports and how easy or how difficult it is for a traditional organization with you know white British middle class mm-hmm. uh, you know, leaders yep. to understand or to embrace anything new that yep. could change the whole game in their sport uh, or on their organization. Mm-hmm. And so having that in mind, uh, I think what Global Talent is offering, it's a completely different way for a sport to develop in the future. Yeah. And therefore, that's why um, more organizations should engage uh, with someone that they could trust. Mm-hmm. I think that's the key challenge for a technology company uh, to build trust with uh, sporting organizations because mm-hmm. everything tends to be done you know, through their networks, through their experience. They tend to work with the same brands, yep. with the same organizations they have worked in, in the past. Yep. Uh, and it's very difficult to break in into this type of organizations they might have an innovation manager, they might have someone who is in charge of technology, mm-hmm. which they will understand what technology or global talent is trying to achieve. Yep. However, leaders of organizations tend not to trust anything they don't understand. Right. So I think 
it will be a, an education process. We need people in leading positions to understand better technology yep. and sport and how they to marry to each other. And we've seen a few examples of federate, for example, you know, sporting federations investing directly themselves in that technology uh, to make sure that that technology helps their sport to grow. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so I think it's an education long-term process. Yep. Uh, and this is the kind of barriers you, you, you encounter as, yeah. as a technology company. Amazing. Okay. So, I mean, you've been, as, as we mentioned, quite heavily involved with a number of sports organizations um, in, in some different areas. Just on that point about innovation, in your opinion, from your experience, how, I guess, how heavily is innovation invested in within these organizations? Is, is it like, uh, you know, just the VARs introduction where people are like, yeah. let's innovate the sport? Or is there, is there real conscious effort to, to push things further along for the, for the development of yeah. things overall? I mean, the challenge is they think they're sporting organizations and they're not looking at digital in the right way. So they're thinking, yes, we need to have a digitally advanced website, mm-hmm. a digitally advanced ticketing system, yep. but they're not really having a transformation, a digital transformation themselves. Right. So it's always projects, it's always some investments, but it's not their business becoming a digital transformative business. Yeah. Uh, and then, and that you can see because nothing is changing in the sport it's still the same sport yeah it's very difficult for them to think let's let's change the mindset let's yeah. let's let's see how can this sport evolve and engage new generations which are not necessarily interested in traditional sports for example mm-hmm. so because there's, there's even different sports being added to the olympics each year and stuff you know there's, yes there's um, more, more things coming more funding for things but where is it enough to just add the sports to the Olympics or do we need to invest in how you know people are seeing them yeah. with a new age yeah I mean then there's need there's a need for much more investment and if you compare what banks are investing right now in innovation and technology yeah compared to what the sporting organizations are is you know marginal yeah uh, so that gives you a good idea of how banks are reacting to you know challenger brands and mm-hmm. technology companies of fintechs. Yep. Uh, I think the challenge is in sporting organizations, they haven't been challenged yet or they think they haven't been challenged. Right. Even though they now in the sports and entertainment sector, they're not the sports only anymore because no. they're competing with you know, cinema, media companies, media companies yep. Netflix, yep. everything else that is happening for yep. you know, kids and young people time. So they haven't realized uh, and the reason is they don't know it yet mm-hmm. or may, some of them they don't know it yeah. they don't think about it yeah. uh, but banks and other uh, businesses uh, they have realized so they're heavily involved investing and hiring <coughs> you know the best talent they can find in tech mm-hmm. uh, on innovation to make sure they are the best and the most advanced in, yeah. in their field yeah it's interesting I only uh, I was on a trip this weekend and on the way back, I was sat next to a gentleman who was watching a, a show on Netflix. And the show was, um, it was based around the F1 teams, Formula One teams, and it, each episode follows them around for a couple of hours with the most intimate 
camera work and filming, you know, you're right next to Lewis Hamilton, you're right next to uh, Bottas, you're right next to Max Verstappen, you're, you're, you're in these guys' lives. And, but it's Netflix doing that. Mm-hmm. It's Netflix who have bought it or, or commissioned the project to go, go for that. Wouldn't it be interesting if, you know, one of the organisations, the, the governing bodies, decided to offer people an insight into their own sports rather than a media company? Maybe that's the difference on where certain companies are looking for innovation and certain companies are not necessarily going with the times. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think the key is trust. I think... Uh Businesses these days, they find or they identify certain partners they trust and they work with them and they open their business for them to be even showcased and broadcasted online. Mm-hmm. While sporting organizations are still a bit reticent to open right. their organization and show what they do and you know what athletes do, you know how they work. It's still a bit of a myth or, right. or a challenge how these organizations work. And having been working uh, for a few years now with different you know national uh, federations and international federations you can easily see uh, which ones are more open yep. than others uh, in terms of trusting uh, an external partner are you comfortable in, in giving us your opinion on which ones are more trusting and which ones are not oh well I, I, I can i can be very honest and say oh, yeah? you know for the last nearly two years i've been working with the LTA, so Tennis for Britain, okay. and they are going through a challenging but exciting time of trying to tell the world and the UK that they are not a very old-fashioned sport right. for, you know, um, upper middle class mm-hmm. uh, that can afford to play tennis yep. uh, on a on a Because it's generally club. seen as, as a more affluent, affluent sport. Affluent right? sport, yeah. elite sport, yep. you know, people that can pay to go to Wimbledon. Yep. Uh, but for the last few uh, couple of years, they have a new senior executive team. Mm-hmm. They have been engaging with uh, great companies like the one I work for yep. and other uh, innovative organizations to try to change how tennis is perceived who likes to play tennis and why not uh, kids from ethical minority backgrounds mm-hmm. cannot play tennis or cannot become you know, tennis players. Yeah. Uh, so that's the journey they're in at the moment. Uh, so it's great to see that they're prepared to A, recognize that they had an issue mm-hmm. or a challenge and try to say, we need to do something about it. Yep. Uh, and this is the journey they're in. And, and it's, I mean, it's, uh, it's an, I'm, an amazing opportunity to be able to to work together with them but uh, similarly uh, in the past when we worked with UEFA mm-hmm. again a very traditional organization absolutely yeah but they decided a few years ago we need to invest in women's football right. uh, we need to educate ourselves and and that helps yeah um, it's funny com- isn't it the the challenges of different sports and organisations depending on their the perceptions in society so you have football and the the signified progression that was was required there was to expose women's football so you know um, put more of a priority on equality in the in the sport whereas in tennis it's slightly different it's not you know women's tennis I guess at the upper level Serena Williams is you know a, potentially the, or arguably the greatest tennis player to ever live. 
Um, however, there is more so bringing, as you said, marginalised communities into the sport. So whilst Serena is um, a black tennis player, seeing that on the men's side of things was a lot rarer yeah. uh, over the years. You know, I think it's... Uh, is it Wilfred Tsonga? Yeah, Tsonga, yeah. Mofield. So yeah. there's a few players now, but as you said, there's, there hasn't been any, uh, you know, tennis player that look yeah. a bit different. No, absolutely uh, not. So kids could get excited about tennis as well. Whereas football, there are, you know, especially in the England team, there's there's quite a lot of diversity. There's still a little bit, uh, I think, slower uptake or in South Asian, Arab um, areas. Um, However, it's it's a pretty diverse sport, whereas tennis is not um, not so far. So it's interesting to see the where people are looking to try and improve their areas. Yeah, and, and similarly, when I was working uh, for the International Paralympic Committee and I have been involved with Paralympic sport, you also see that for them, women was a very important right. part as athletes and for the Paralympics for the Paralympics yeah. yes so athletes always have been like at the center of everything they do yeah um, apart from having athletes commissions etc yeah uh, they always had in mind the athlete because at the end of the day without the athletes and these you know amazing performances we see from Paralympic athletes yeah there wouldn't be anybody watching Paralympic sport because no. that's their unique selling point yeah you know these amazing um, performances from um, you know, athletes with special abilities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's very interesting that how much they have invested in education, yep. education of the athletes, education of the you know national Paralympic committees. Yep. You know, in countries where nobody else is going to to do any type of education, they're trying it's to make sure. Yeah. London twenty twelve was the first time I'd seen or noticed necessarily uh, the Paralympics really televised yeah. you know it was it was a big campaign you had the Olympics and then you were having withdrawal symptoms symptoms of the Olympics but then there was the Paralympics and this was you know equally as exciting there was there was something more to get behind and it was because it was you know the marketing the 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 investment behind it and actually making it something that people would get interested in um, was significantly more than it had ever been before absolutely um, if you don't if you don't see it you don't know exists absolutely yeah and this is something that happens with women's football uh, and this is something that happened until london 2012 with paralympic uh, sport and yeah. something i heard me personally while i was in the in london 2012 paralympic games was you know listening to just fans coming into the uh, olympic park mm -hmm. and just saying you know originally we came here to see the park to see the venues because Obviously, we had no idea about Paralympic sport. Yeah. But now that we're here with our kids, because we can afford the tickets, uh, we're very proud, and you know, we really see the value of how much this means for our kids' future. Yeah. How inspiring. Yep. You know how much is opening their eyes. Yeah. Uh, so we're very grateful that we're here. So it's interesting that you know, with the high-end exposure of things like the Paralympic Games, you, you, there is there is a real improvement in. Uh, the opportunities offered to people um, with uh, special abilities or, or disabilities as well. So you have genuinely lucrative careers as an option, mm -hmm. as a Paralympian. Yeah. Whereas before, you know, if you're a wheelchair basketball player, yeah. you're, you probably have to have a full-time job as well. You probably have to do these things. And now if you're actually at the top of your game, you can focus on that as a career. Yeah. So 
so widening the actual opportunities and, and providing jobs for people where they weren't before is is something uh, I think that's been a, a great introduction to the world of sport actually absolutely um, and ho- hopefully there will be more inclusion um, in the sport mm-hmm. uh, so hopefully more sports will realize how important it is to have yep. and develop their Paralympic or parasport yep. uh, side um, just for the for the good and for the growth of mm-hmm. the sport I just wanted to touch on one more thing before before we start to wrap things up um, and it's when you said earlier that you were you know passionate about the education of post career risks what is currently being done in or being put in place or what ideas do you uh, necessarily have uh, with your involvement to safeguard players and, and improve that mm-hmm. so you know we had examples even uh, you know extremely sadly the late, late Kobe Bryant from a few months ago yeah. almost uh, a lot of the conversations as much as focusing on his basketball career which was extremely illustrious um, people were, were saying they, they were you know almost equally as sad that they weren't going to get to see how good he was after his career mm-hmm. because he had set up such a thing you know first sports player to get an Oscar mm-hmm. becoming an author yeah. um, so with that and those sort of things as the examples I guess of, of the top of what a post career could be like mm-hmm. what yeah what initiatives are in place to, to help people not yep. succumb to the risks um, I mean there is a lot going on mm-hmm. uh, but some Initiatives they have been in place for longer. Yeah. Uh, so if you think of the NFL, where an NFLPA they have been like pioneers in supporting athletes' career because as you know, after a couple of years of being playing in the NFL, you're very likely to be either bankrupt yep. or uh, not in a very good position. Yeah. Uh, so there's the case like recently, for example, um, the NFL is even trying to learn from what UEFA does. Right. Uh, so there's... So the organizations... Organizations started to talk to each other. Wow. Which is... Across uh, different sports Across different well. sports. Fantastic. And this is something that I think should be happening more. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think sports in isolation, they know a lot about their sport, but yep. they don't necessarily know best. Yeah. Uh, and some good learnings can come from other, from other organizations. Uh, and just if you look at organizations like, for example, FIFA or other organizations that they might just take everything themselves, mm-hmm. they just tend to be, in my opinion, yep. uh, more of a tick box. You know, let's right. create something that is an online program yep. that is going to be delivered to hundreds and thousands of football players at different levels of the sport, yep. and we make sure that it's a safe sport. I think you need to go much farther than that. Not just give people a document to read, Not just basically. document or, you know, or an online uh, tool to, to yep. go through. Uh, and this is the kind of things that I think certain sports, they get it, and they want to lead on, on, on transparency and mm-hmm. safeguarding. And tennis, for example, is one of the, the sports that they want to do that. They want right. to, you know, get on the front of, of safeguarding because yep. I think they understand, like, you know, uh, major brands like the NFL... First and most important thing is safety. Yeah. Uh, for you know, uh, governing bodies, safety also includes safeguarding, yep, and I absolutely. think they understand that they now need to be at the forefront of, of this. I'm doing that. Yeah. What's your sorry uh, to to keep going, but I, I just thought, what's the or do you have any experience of the differences 
between um, of, of organizations in different countries and safeguarding their, their athletes. For instance, in Asia with uh, the cricket leagues or perhaps athletics in China. Um, are there more challenges there that you know of? How, how different is the progression or speed of progression? Yeah. I mean, it's very, every country, it's yeah. a different world. Right. Uh, that's why organizations like um, FIFA or other international uh, federations might mm-hmm. work with bigger organizations or the NBA might look for, yep. for someone uh, like a big technology company to help them implement what they're trying to achieve because every single country uh, is going to be it's going to be a different world right, yeah. uh, and you know governance will be very different yeah. in Asian countries or in African countries than the Because when countries. you're thinking about this it, it ties in quite heavily with politics, um, with social policy, with even you know the way that the con- countries are run uh, and human rights issues as well. Um, liberal laws, laws and all sorts. So yeah, betting laws and yeah. European laws. So there's a lot of things that have an influence on, mm-hmm. on safeguarding or betting or crime. Yep. And so I think every country is a, is a different world. Yep. Uh, certain continents, obviously, they, they have similarities than others. Yep. But the, definitely what we touched uh, on before, which is collaboration, I think there's a need for much more collaboration between sporting organizations yep. uh, internationally to, to make sure that everyone has the latest, the best, yep. on the most robust uh, system in place in terms of safeguarding right. or, or safety. Amazing. So um, thank you for that. And I guess as a, a more personal question, you've been involved now, as you said, um, with a number of you know, global sports organizations, um, had encounters with, with athletes and brands alike, um, and even technology companies. Um, what's next? You're in you, you're in London now, uh, almost in in sports education as well. Where's where's the next steps for you? Um, I mean, thanks for first having me here today, no, no talking about myself and, and global talent. Uh, I have been also preparing myself for. For the future, mm-hmm. so for the last... I guess, yeah, it's a conversation with you, how exactly, are you safeguarding exactly, yourself as well? Exactly, so the same as an athlete would do, you know, for the last couple of years, I've been um, uh, teaching here at SOAS University mm-hmm. with uh, Dr. Simon Rove and in the past with Stuart McDonald uh, at the Center for International Studies and Diplomacy mm-hmm. and trying to educate myself and educate our students on how sport is more than sport right. and how much uh, you know an athlete French athlete playing in the NBA can have an influence mm-hmm. on you know educating kids in, about France yeah yeah how much um, you almost see it now with Yanis Antetokounmpo's uh, exactly how much influence can he have uh, with the Greece yeah in you Greece, can yeah. see how much uh, Enes Kanter can yep. have in, Turkey. Uh, in terms of uh, dealing with Turkey and the regime. Yep. Uh, so he's, he's, he's extremely vocal. Exactly. Uh, that, so yeah. athletes these days, they have a voice and some of them, because they're very big, like LeBron, yeah, yeah. they can say what they think. Yeah. And other athletes, they're not allowed to say what they think because right. if they do, uh, they might risk losing their job because yeah. uh, we shouldn't forget the sport is a, is a business. Right. Uh, and it's about opportunities. 
so some athletes will have opportunities mm-hmm. and some other athletes uh, will not if yep. they're not at the top of the of their game what uh, so I'm, I'm I'm I've been involved in sport and diplomacy for the last couple of years and, yep. and currently I'm, I'm an associate of uh, international cultural relations which is an uh, organization that works directly with um, countries mm-hmm. like Germany or the EU yep. or the British Council and what they do is educate the government or, or the country about how they can use the sport uh, for good. Well, so okay. you might have heard a lot about soft power and how much Qatar for example is using their Qatar 2022 football to try to uh, change a bit the perception uh, people outside Qatar have of their country. Yes, absolutely. So, this is the kind of uh, things that uh, we teach uh, here so as to well, our students to just help them understand how a sport can be a tool for good, yep. can be a tool for you know, branding a country, yep. uh, can be a tool for soft power, but can also be a useful tool if you want to uh, contribute to achieving UN sustainable goals like equality, yep. uh, diversity, etc. So with this in mind, uh, I'm, I've been, you know, trying to learn myself as much as possible in terms of sport diplomacy and I think there's a need for the industry to also embrace more uh, what they can learn and what they can achieve uh, yep. by using the sport for a different for a different role. Interesting. So so really pushing to bring sport into a more socially conscious uh, world where, where people are looking at it in a very different way than just watching a match on TV but yep. How can how can this really improve communities uh, and well-being for for people worldwide? Absolutely, and, and at, even at athlete level, I've been in touch with athletes that mm-hmm. have just contacted me and said, you know, Jose, I'm a you know I'm a female professional player. Mm-hmm. I would like to do something good after my career. What? How do I go about it? Uh, so you can see there is a need for even athletes these days to, to think bigger yeah, and, to want to do, and something. do something for you know for society in the future. Yeah. So it's it's just I think it's just the right time for anybody who really cares about athletes and who really cares about sport yep. to get involved and and help develop uh, a better future for a sport. Amazing. It seems like with uh, with leading athletes and and people such as yourself involved with organizations there's really significant examples being set on how we should at least be thinking uh, and approaching sport in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it's uh, something that uh, obviously struck me from Global Talent, uh, mm-hmm. how they're trying to think, you know, the reality. Athletes need funding. Yeah. Uh, it's very difficult. Money's important. Yeah, it's very difficult <laughs> for them to secure that funding for their whole career, mm-hmm. especially when they're young and they're not on the top of their game. Yep. Uh, so it's just having that extra funding, having the ability to also create their own fans and their fan community uh, through different and technology uh, ways. I think it's a great, a great idea. Great thing to do. Yeah. Well, um, I'm sure there's uh, there's going to be a lot more to come um, from who's represented and, and who has. Uh, I guess access to the rest of the world um, through Global Talent, hopefully, um, and we're we're about to embark on on some really exciting adventures and journeys. I think in the world of sport. Thank you very much um, for your time here. 
anybody listening, please uh, please send in or, or comment with any questions you might have, uh, and we'll feed back on the next session. Um, otherwise, thank you for tuning into Sports World Insights, and thank you, uh, Jose. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye bye.